If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you please open them up to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 11 to 16 will be the main section of the passage that we're going to be looking at. Um, so if you wouldn't mind turning there, we're going to be uh, finishing off the book of Timothy this morning. And as you turn in, when you get there, you will notice that the very first word um, in this particular section that we're going to be looking at is the word but. And when we see the word but or we see the word for or therefore, it's vitally important for us to make sure that we understand the content um, that's gone on before. Because the, what the guy is about to say, what the author is about to say, is based on what he has just said. And so we see that particularly in this section as well. And so when we look at verse, chapter 6, verses 3 to verse 10, we see that Paul addresses the issue of uh, false te- uh, teachers towards Timothy. Now, I'm not going to touch on that or speak about that. Uh, Matt Johnson has done a two-part series, uh, two-part sermon uh, on this, uh, in this series. So if you're interested in that or can't remember what it says, go check it up online. It's really good. He did a great job in that. But what Paul is trying to address here with Timothy is the motive behind why false preachers go and do what they do, particularly in Ephesus at the time. And that was they were trying to go and uh, they were doing what they were doing because they sought prosperity. Sound familiar? Um, They were going and looking to gain much. And so Paul's instruction to Timothy is, Timothy, I do not want you to pursue finances in terms of being prosperous. I don't want you to seek the prosperity of like those pastors and other pastors have sought, but rather I want you to be content in where you are financially. He says, the reason why he says this is because he goes, Timothy, well, if we seek and look for the temporal, then our focus of the eternal shifts. And so his instruction and his application for Timothy in this is that we need to be content. And it's for us in this room this morning as well, is that we, when it comes to our financial status, it, we need to be contented with whatever God decides. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean if you uh, have wealth uh, and you are rich that you aren't in God's will. Uh, God uh, does bless and give to those, but he does not necessarily to everyone. But... That also doesn't mean that God, when we are struggling financially, that God doesn't provide for us. We're taught um, in, uh, Jesus teaches us how to pray, and he says, give us today our daily bread. So we definitely, when we're struggling financially, we can come before God and say, Lord, we need you to come through here. So it's not necessarily what he's saying. He's just saying, don't pursue more. Don't pursue to gain much on this side of eternity because it is temporal. It is worthless compared to what is waiting for us in, et- in eternity. Let's seek that. Let's pursue after that. That also doesn't mean that we, we don't work hard and we are bad employees. Remember last week's sermon, Matt gave a great sermon on how we need to be fantastic employees, to work hard, be great employers as well, because not so that we might gain much, but so that we might bring fame to Christ, Right? that we is saying that the gospel that we have is that Jesus has saved us and he has changed us. We are new people. Well, that needs to reflect out in how hard we work. So we pursue hard. We work hard. We are great employers, employees because of what Christ has done for us because his name is at stake here. So that's why we do it. 
So Timothy gives that practical application of be content, but he continues on going. I mean, Paul gives that application to Timothy to be content. But he continues on saying, um, don't be lovers of money. Because the love of money is the root of all evil or the, uh, the source of all kinds of evil. Horribly uh, misquoted there as well, that it's not money itself. If you, if, you loads, uh, if you got loads of money, it doesn't mean that that's the source of evil in your life or that you have evil. It is the love of money. And the last time I checked, you can be poor like myself and still love money, right? It's not a rich person issue. It's also a poor person issue. You can be greedy and jealous and envy and covet after what others have. It just seems that we're really bad at making money, so um, they're good at it. But we, want, we, can, we can also love money as well. And Jesus says something similar in Matthew 6, uh, where he goes on to say that you can't serve both God and money. Now, that word money there is the word mammon, uh, which we get the word manna from. Now, for those of you who might not necessarily be churchgoers and haven't been to church for a while, didn't grow up in church, the word manna we get from all the way back when the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. This might start to sound familiar to you. And um, they, uh, God sends Moses to come and get the people to get, uh, come and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And he goes and tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says no. So Pharaoh says, uh, says you can't do it, and then God sends ten plagues. And each time he sends a plague, Moses will go, let my people go. And he says, no, and God sends another one. Until the 10th one comes, and Pharaoh says, fine, you may leave. And so the Egyptians uh, head off. They go into the wilderness, and they start heading off towards the promised land. And in about three or so days in, they run out of food. And uh, so as the teens call it these days, it's called hangry. It's when you get hungry, and so you become angry because you're hungry. And so they became hangry. And so they were like, we are upset. Why did you bring us out here? We should have stayed in Egypt. We've got no food, etc., etc." And so uh, Moses goes to God and says, Lord, you need to provide for us. You need to come through for us here. And so what God does is each and every single morning, the Israelites would wake up and they would find manna or heavenly bread, if you will, on the floor. And they could pick that up and they could take that and eat for the day. But there was a condition. They weren't allowed to store up for themselves manna. They couldn't take it and pack it away just in case. They had to only take enough for one day. And the result of that would be if you stored up more, it would rot and it would fall away. And so you couldn't really eat it. You had to just wait each and every single day. And so for 40 years, every single day, the Israelites will go to bed not knowing whether or not they would have food the next day. We didn't have food for the next day. But God was faithful enough to come and provide for them each and every single day. And so when Jesus says here, you can't serve both God and money or mammon, where the root word is manna, that same root word there is also used for the word confidence. So he's saying you can't serve God and something else in which you find confidence in. You see, because the love of money is opposite to faith. Now, follow me here, because, because when we love money and when we find our confidence in something else, it becomes where we let put our trust. How big my bank account is and what I have is where my trust lies. So I look there and I start doubting, you know, God, yeah, God there, but I doubt whether or not he can provide with my bank account. Yeah, I can. 
And so, and so there becomes the issue. We start to doubt God and we start to place our faith and trust in something else that we find confidence in. So Paul says here, we need to be content. Big word for us this morning. So keep that in mind as we read the first two verses of um, verse 11 and 12 in, our, in the passage that we're going to be looking at. It says this, But as for you, a man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So here, Paul says, okay, when it comes to your finances, you need to be content. Don't pursue prosperity. Don't pursue it. But when it comes to um, godly things, we need to pursue it. We need to pursue righteousness. We need to pursue godliness, etc., etc., And while Paul might not necessarily say it in these words, I feel that Paul is saying, be content with temporal earthly things, but when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to knowing if there is a God, if it comes to knowing more about Him, if it comes to uh, how far we are on the spiritual journey, how mature we are, we need to be discontent. And by when I say discontent, I don't mean we sit here and go, oh my word, this Christianity thing is so boring. So, oh man, this is not good. I'm not meaning that. I'm meaning that we just want more of our God. That when we look to Him, we want more godliness. We want to be able to love others better, to be able to seek God more, to be able to, him, to have Him reveal more of Himself during His Word. We want more and more of God. And we need to be discontent on where we're at. It's kind of like eating a good meal. I know, I know this is not only me here. When you eat and you sit down and you're full, but the meal's so good that you just keep on eating, right? You just, I had pizza the other night with my wife, and we went out for a, a cheap date night, and we went and got some pizza. And I was halfway through that pizza. I was done, but I wasn't done. I wanted more, you know, and you eat, and you eat because it's good and not because you, you need it. And in the same way it comes with our relationship with God, it is great, so we want more of him. We want more of God. We want to love better because there's great joy that comes in that. We want to be able to trust Him in difficult circumstances. Why? Because it is great to have faith in difficult circumstances. We want to know Him more as our comforter when we go through trials, to be able to come and lay ourselves before Him and say, Lord, I'm hurting because there's great comfort in that. We want more and more of Him. We need to be discontent with where we're at because there's so much more to offer. So much more in which we can have. But my fear is that, and I include myself in this, is that most of us in this room, that we've got our contentment the wrong way around. We're content with where we are with God. Yeah, I'm saved. That's good, right? I'm going to heaven. That's good. That'd be fantastic. That's it. That's, and so, yeah, I'll go to church now and again. I read my Bible when I have time, which is seldom, but that's okay. I try do my best, and we leave it at that. But when it comes to the pursuits of earthly, temporal things, oh man, we've got to give every bit of energy that we can. We've got it the wrong way around. Paul is saying, be content when it comes to our material stuff. Trust God in that. But when it comes to having more of Jesus, when it comes to having more of God, let us pursue, let us give, our, give horns. Let's, let's, let's pursue it as much as we possibly can. J.C. Rao says, says the uh, following comments 
on uh, the lack of pursuit. He says this, I grant that it costs little to be a mere Christian, a mere outward Christian. A man has only got to attend a place of worship twice on a Sunday and be tolerably moral during the week, and he has gone as far as thousands around him ever go in religion. All is cheap and easy work and entails no self-denial or sacrifice. Hard to hear. Some of us are going twice on a Sunday. <laughs> but we've got to pursue more. Where are we at, church? When it comes to our content, where are we at? Because Jesus says you can't do both. You can't be a lover of money and serve him. You can't pursue other things and find confidence in other things and him. You might want to, but Jesus says you can't. So you, can, you don't have to trust me on this one. You can trust him on this one. So where are we at? So, so what are we going to do about this? Well, I feel that there is, there's this need for us to have a shift in our mindsets. We have to go from being uh, earthly-minded to kingdom-minded. Paul says this in verse 12. If you, if you look back at verse 12, he says, Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Eternal life. Take hold of it. Now, when Paul talks about eternal life here, he's not referring to justification in that what I mean by that is he's not referring to the moment we believed and when we were saved and uh, our sins were taken away. He's not referring to that moment. While that is an aspect of eternal life, that's not what he's t- talking about here. Nor is he referring here to our eternal destiny, that one day we will be with God and, and, we will, and he will be with us and we will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Not referring to that either. While that is a great hope that we have to look forward to, it is not what he's referring to here, but rather what he's referring to here is the, the in-between bits. There is from in-between those, those two events. He's saying that we need to live out our salvation. We need to live out eternal life right now. Take hold of it right now. In other words, there's, a, there's this gift of God, that this liveliness that comes from God in which we get to live out each and every single day. This each and every single day we get to love others and fall in love more with God. Each and every single day we get to be able to live a life of faith. Each and every single day we get to serve the Lord. Each and every single day we get to be, uh, live a life filled by the Spirit. These are things in which we get to do. And there needs to be this shift in mindset from going what we do now on this side of the grave is so more, much more important than what will last from now into eternity. The temporal things, as Jesus says, the, rust, the, the, the moths and rust will destroy. Thieves will break in and steal. But let's prepare for ourselves things that will be for now and the future. Let's focus on the eternal things. Let's focus on that. And the way we get to know whether or not we're excited about these things, whether or not we are kingdom-minded, is do we get excited when it comes, when we hear about church planting? Do we go, man, that's so great that a church is being planted? Do when we see other churches other than our own doing well, when we hear about people being baptized because they're publicly uh, saying, I will decide to follow Jesus, when people come and say, I'm committing myself to the Lord, do we get excited about that? Because if we don't, there's a good chance that we aren't even close to being nearly as kingdom-minded as we need to be. Because being kingdom-minded is not only making sure how, how good I am, but is seeing the kingdom grow. But it's not just getting excited about things and thinking that's a good idea. It's, 
It's not sitting here this morning and going, you know what, we need to have a thriving youth ministry. Yes, that's good. But yet I found out recently that 90% of our leaders are teens. Church, we're letting our teens lead our teens. What? It's heartbreaking. And, and those teens are God-sent, and they are awesome. But our, our teens are trying to give life experience to other teens in which they don't have. But here we have 160 of them that's doing well, but we need adults. We have a, youth ministry, a children's ministry that's thriving. It's one of the flagships of our church, doing super well. But yet Nikki is one of the only, if not the only adult on a Friday night with our, with our children. Got teens doing it, but again, teens are stepping up to the mark, but we as the adults need to serve. You might be serving in other areas, and that's great. So don't, don't take it as, oh, I'm joking, I'm doing all of this. But there are so many of us who aren't extending the kingdom. Look to, we need to be kingdom-minded. We need to be serving Jesus. We need to be pursuing these things. I don't want to come across harsh, but there is a time where we need to step up, particularly as adults. Let's serve. There are so many areas. How's your soul group doing? Are you open to having others join your community? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. We've got to be more kingdom-minded in this. And so we, we see Paul also gives an instruction to Timothy. He says, the very first line, he says, but you, a man of God, flee these things. Flee it. Now, he also says in 2 Timothy 2.22, so the next letter he writes to Paul, uh, Timothy, he says to him, Timothy, I want you to flee youthful passions and then pursue, and he gives a new list of things he needs to do. So there's this fleeing that he needs to do, not only of just the pursuit of prosperity, but also of other, uh, other sins. And what's important for us to do is that we need to identify sin in our life and come and ask for forgiveness. We need to ask, Lord, forgive me of my sin, and we need to, on a continual basis, do that. But also, it's not being passive towards sin. I want you to notice here that there is an action involved. Running, fleeing away, there is an action involved. I think so often, and I, in my life at the very least, and I hope it's similar to yours, is that when I find myself in sin, I ask myself the question, how did I get here? How, how did I end up down this, down this path at this destination? How did I get here? And I think so often we have that same, and I hope it's the same for you, you have that now and again, you're going, how did I get here? How did I fall into this? It's because we've been passive. We've gone, kind of gone, sin's bad, I don't want to do it, but we're not intentionally fleeing away from it. You see, the trick about sin, or the, the nasty thing about sin, is that you don't necessarily need to pursue it, it pursues you. And if you aren't fleeing, if you're just passive towards it, you will get caught. And you'll be like me often, standing there going, how did I get here? How did I fall into the sin that I'm in? I didn't want to be here. I, I know I shouldn't be here, but I find myself here because we are passive towards it. We need to flee away from sin. Let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us, point out sin in our lives. We sang about it this morning, how we have been set free. Christ, if we are in Christ, we are free from sin. We can get away from it. We can flee from it. But the next thing he does is that he says, pursue. And he gives a whole long list of things to do. So Super Rugby started this week. Um, when I say this, uh, this week, it started on Thursday. What's up with Thursday rugby games, right? Australians. I don't know. I don't know. 
can't understand that playing rugby on a Thursday. And what we've done at, as a, a staff is that we started playing Superbrew. I don't know if you know what it is. Like you kind of predict the scores, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're not gambling. There's no money involved in it. But there's just each week there's a, a yellow cap you get to win. So the, the staff who does the best will get the yellow cap. And uh, pretty much some people have been forced into doing it. They don't watch rugby at all. And so there's a, one of our interns, Kath Blaine, she has been forced into doing this. And the way she's gone and picked her sides is she's gone, who has the best jersey? The best color jersey. And when she can't decide, when there's too close, like, oh, they're both nice, she decides who has the best mascot. And then after that, she decides if she can't choose there or they don't have any, she decides which city do I like best. And I kid you not, all the way up to the last game last night, Kath Blaine was winning. So if you want to do Super Brew and you want to win, that's the way you do it. Just pick the best jersey and you've got it down. Um, but rugby is happening, so I have to use an illustration of rugby in this. But my favorite way, and I'm a Bulls supporter, so we never ever do it. We barely, we barely I know, it's very it's heartbreaking. Um, but what, what, my favorite way to to see a try happen is when the ball gets passed from the scrum off all the way out to the wing and the wing scores. And now the ball gets to fly off and he kicks it or he runs straight. That's it. Um, but the ball gets passed from the, from the scrum off to the fly off to the centers and maybe lovingly like you see the, um, you see the fullback come in in between the centers and the wing. He draws the last man and he passes the ball out to the wing. And now the wing has two jobs to do. Number one priority is to score the try, right? Get over that line. But he can't neglect the big Ibn Etabeth running down and bearing down on him. He needs to make sure he, he flees away from, from those big forwards and from the other wings trying to catch him. If he neglects one, he's going to get absolutely munched. So if he, he neglects, he neglects uh, the fleeing, but the pursuing, he'll just, oh, okay, I'm going to go walk there, and Ibn will take him out, and, and he'll be in hospital the next day. Or he goes and he goes, fine, I'm worried about the, the Eben chasing me because that's a scary thing. But he neglects where the try line is. We start playing under nine rugby. Have you ever watched under nine rugby? When they get the ball and they just start running sideways or backwards and all the parents are on the other side going, no, the other way, the other way, this way, go that way. And they're all running. It's just because you don't get caught. You don't get tackled. You just run and run and run. You'll never, ever get to your goal. And in a similar sense, while we need to make sure that we flee from the sin that's chasing us, we need to make sure that we pursue certain goals. We need to have a goal in which we need to move towards. And what I find interesting here is that, is that Paul gives specifics. He, is not, he gives specifics on things he must, he must, Timothy must do. He knows Timothy really well. And in the next letter, he will change it. I hope, probably because Timothy has got some of these right. But it's, it's no good for us going, yeah, I want to be a better person or want to be better at this, and they're not deciding what we're going to chase on. What are we going to pursue? What are we going to go after? What are the specifics that you are going after? Is it love? Are you going, man, I need to, I need to love people that are, are different to me better, and pursuing that, and really doing that. I need to be a better husband, and really chasing after that. I need to be better at faith, really going after those things, really pursuing after them. Be specific. Because if you don't, it's like walking into a dark room, turning off the lights, I come and put a, a, a target down, I give you a dart, and I say, hit the bullseye. And you go, where it is? I go, I don't know, you find it. 
and we just throw. We might hit it by chance, but there's a good chance that we're going to be there all day before you even hit the board, never mind the bullseye. But if I turn the lights on and I go, there the dartboard is, here's the dart, go for it. You might miss a couple of times. Hey, you might miss a lot, but you're getting a whole lot closer than you were when you didn't. And there'll be a point where you hit the bullseye. Need to be specific on the things that we're going to chase after. What are we going to pursue? And it's different for you as it is for me. I have different things that I struggle with than you do. And so we need to really look into our hearts and go, how can we, how can we change here? The next thing is that Timothy says we need to fight the good fight. And there's this misconception that Christianity is for sissies. <laughs> there are people in this room that will tell you now that Christianity is hard. It's tough. It is difficult. There is great joy in it. But there are moments when it is just so hard to do. And there's, we are called to fight the good fight, to run the race, to box like a boxer, to win the fight. We are to take up the struggle, to keep up the struggle in the good conflict is really how it should be translated. Keep up the struggle. Keep it up. Keep going. Count the cost. Count the cost this morning of how tough Christianity is. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. But he also goes on to say, but those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their lives will save it. In other words, he's saying, you might say this Christianity thing is too hard, but ultimately the cost is far greater than it is now. The reward that we have is so much greater if we take on the cost now. There is a fine balance. The cost is, might be great, but it fails to compare to the glory that we are, are going to receive, says Romans 8, verse 18. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to wrap up because I am running out of time um, this morning. I know you all saw me this morning went, yeah, Joey's preaching, going to finish early. Um, I, and, and so I've, I've got a couple of points, but I, I promise I will, I'll go through them. Um, and so, so here we go. Uh, let's read the next, the next section, verses 13 to verse 16. It says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and, to, uh, and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will appear at the proper time, who is to be blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And so um, Paul uh, starts off here by saying the reason why we need to do this and take this seriously is because God is watching. He says, I charge you in the presence of God to do this. He's saying God is watching us. And this has two effects. For those of us who aren't doing this, who are pursuing the wrong things, it's, it should shake us up a little bit because the King, of, uh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the judge of the universe who simply spoke creation into being is looking at us and seeing us with our hands full of sin, doing the wrong things, pursuing the wrong things. And so there needs to be a shake-up there. But at the same time, for those of you who who are faithfully serving, that are pursuing these things, experiencing the joy that comes with that, but knowing the difficulty of the fight that comes with being in a fight, being in this warfare, is that we can know that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who loved us, who gave Christ 
to die on the cross for us is also watching us, that he's there every single step of the way, that you might need love and he's able to give you love, that you might need more hope, he's able to give you hope, you might need comfort, he's able to give you that, you might need strength because you're weak, he's able to give you that strength. We can trust that we have an awesome God who is able to intervene in the situations in which we find ourselves in. We can trust in him, he's watching. And lastly, we see that uh, Paul kind of goes on and gives Timothy how great the Lord is. He just kind of rambles off. I don't know when Paul was penning this, if he had planned on doing that or just he got overawed by the greatness of God that he just started writing it. But in doing so, at the end of his letter, he's getting, he's getting uh, Timothy's attention. He wants Timothy to be gripped by the greatness of God. You see, Timothy was a young preacher, particularly in those times. He was in his early 30s. He was relatively sick all the time as well. And uh, according to Paul's standards, at the very least, Timothy wasn't very bold. He was a timid person. And so in this, Paul is saying, Timothy, I need you to, to be reminded of the greatness of your God. There's going to be moments when you're standing and preaching and your life is going to be a threat. But you need to be reminded that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is watching you and is with you. That you need to be reminded that while they might be able to kill you, they are not able to kill him. He died and he rose again. He has defeated the death. Our God is immortal. And yet he goes on to say, Timothy, Timothy, remember as well that he is a holy and great and awesome God. That he's, he's, un, he's not seeable, that his glory is so great that mere humans cannot look at him. And so as we go through this and as we struggle, church, because this is a struggle and this is something we need to pursue and this is something we need to flee from and this is something we need to take seriously, as we do this, let us be gripped by the awesomeness of God. Let us be reminded of his majesty. Let us be reminded of how awesome he is. And for some of us who have been Christians for years, we might have lost that awe, might have lost that wonder, but we need to stir it up in us so that we can get our perspective straight, that we can pursue things, that we can pursue God, that we can see his kingdom grow because we want his name to be glorified. And knowing that how, no matter how tough it is, our great God is with us every single step of the way. Some comfort in that. Super awesome. Our God is just great. And he loves us and he's with us. So let us do it, let us do it, let us do it. And also let us pray. Lord, we are just so grateful that you are a God who, who takes care of us, a God who came and died for us on the cross. And Lord, there's this real challenge that we have been laid out this morning from your word, that we need to pursue you, that we need to be... Uh, more hungry for more of you, more content with what we've got here because you are a greater prize to have. But Lord, that is so hard. Our natural desires want us to flee the other way, to pursue other things. But I pray that you would empower us by your spirit that we might be able to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us to do stuff that is really hard for us to do? For those who are hurting this morning, I pray that you would comfort them and come alongside them to help them to run this race well. And for those of us who are just lazy and need a kick in the pants, Lord, I pray that we do it, that we get up off our seats and we start serving you, experiencing those joys. And I pray for those that have served over periods that you would help them to endure. Would you help us to identify sin in our lives, I pray? 
that we would see the nastiness of it, that we would be able to flee from it, but also that we would be able to identify areas in which we need to grow in so that we might be able to pursue it for the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.